What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to, or watching as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about the subtle idolatry of good things. This is a cautionary tale for contemporary Christians or Christians today. I guess contemporary is a semantically overloaded word. What I mean is for us today, this is a cautionary tale. And this podcast, uh, it it's comes from material I've done in the past, but the reason you're getting this on this Monday is because of a sermon that was preached in the assembly up here in Riverview. Every uh, last Sunday of the month, uh, Ayo Kun Lee preaches, and uh, we have a fellowship meal and stuff like that, and it gives the people a break from hearing me, gives me a break from preaching, allows me to lead singing, and uh, yeah, that's that's it. So. Ayo Kun Lee preached a very good sermon, and uh, in it he talked about how things can become idolatrous, and even the things that we do that are given to us by God can become idolatrous. And I've, at one point, I was kind of preaching with him in my seat. My wife kind of had to give me the side eye and tell me to stop. But anyway, it was a good sermon, and so you're getting some of my processing of the sermon. You're getting some material I've done in the past and hopefully you're edified and informed and you uh, march forward into your Christian walk with less of a chance of making these things that actually come from God idolatrous. It is good to see everyone. There's 17 people in so far. Thank you so much. Uh, To give you a little bit of an update, took a little bit of a hiatus. Um, I wasn't around Friday, and I think the podcast for Friday I didn't do. I didn't do an article Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or maybe I just didn't do an article Saturday or Sunday. But we're back. Um, had to go to the United States for a brief stint and then come back, and we've rearranged some things. I actually sold a vehicle. Uh, I sold a vehicle in the United States so I could purchase a vehicle in Canada. And I have purchased a vehicle with an electric bicycle. Um, We'll see how much how much mileage the electrical the electric bicycle gets this winter. Uh, It is currently snowing. The electric bicycle that I bought has got really big fat tires, so it can ride in the snow. It's got a 750 watt motor. So anyway, it it, I I plan on having some fun on it, but it's also to uh, used for cheap transportation and it burns calories. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, um, I want to turn your attention to our sponsor, uh, contact Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. Are you looking to spread the word about your next church event in style? Well, Lindsay Dotson is your go-to designer for church related advertisements that truly stand out. When it's time to invite members to your upcoming event or share your news of the special gathering that you're having, trust Lindsay to deliver. She can deliver vibrant flyers that capture attention and set the tone, memorable postcards that carry your heartfelt message, eye-catching social media graphics perfect for sharing across all platforms. With a keen understanding of the needs of the events of the Christian community, Lindsay crafts designs that not only look great, but also resonate deeply with your congregation. Get in touch with Lindsay Dotson today to elevate your church event promotions to the next level. Message her on Facebook or shoot her an email at lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Share your church's special moments and announcements in the most visually stunning way with Lindsay Dotson's expert touch. Reach out now and let your event shine. Folks, it's good to see everybody. And uh, Gita, John Exum, Sheila Cole, good to see every one of y'all. Now, let me let me change one quick thing. Uh, don't forget to uh, join the Christianity Now Facebook group. Let's get into our podcast. All right. Uh, let's talk about this deal with idolatry. Well, first off, anything can become 
an idol. Um, I go to Colossians. Let me go to Colossians chapter 3, and I want to read an excerpt here, and I want to share with you some of my thoughts on idolatry that I think are correct and germane to the podcast at hand. Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ setteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on those things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, I have always read this in the past, or, well, I say, I've been, I've been doing this for years now. Before, I, I think, I, before I had a good understanding of this verse, I would read this verse and I would interpret it thusly. Cut, we, there's a list of things we ought to mortify. Idolatry is one of them, but covetousness is equal to idolatry. I no longer think that. I think that that entire list is idolatry. It's a serving of something we can see or experience in this realm of existence, okay? You can turn that into an idol. You can turn it into something to serve. And you can allow that, which is of this realm of existence, to take the place of Almighty God. I think of John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2. And in 1 John chapter 2, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are spoken of. In fact, well, I'm going to place my marker here in case I want to go back to Colossians. But let's just go read that passage. 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. So the idea is the desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's not of the other realm. It's not of the ethereal region. It's not of heaven. It's of this world. Well, this world passes away along with its desires. This tells me something, my brethren. In the other world, the place where we want to be in eternity, our desires are going to change. Will I be able to eat in heaven? I don't know. Jesus ate in his perfected body. Um, Will my pets be? there's There's all kinds of stuff that, I don't know, maybe above my pay grade, But I do know this, my desires are going to be different because fleshly desires that motivate us here on a biological level are not going to exist in heaven. And this is a point of contention between uh, some brethren, but I fully believe, 1 Corinthians 15, we will have a resurrected body that is physical in, in nature. It's And when I say physical in nature, be careful about the overloading of those terms. Understand that it's it's spiritual in that it is of the spiritual realm. It's a body that is changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It's a resurrected body. Now, it's still existential. It's still made of atoms and molecules, but it is changed. It's different. It's as different as a corn stalk is from a kernel of corn. And in fact, in the King James Version, that's, that's the illustration that Paul uses that you place a kernel of, or you place a, uh, a kernel of wheat, and I, I, I said corn, wheat. You place wheat or corn into the ground, that which comes up, it's still the same as what was placed in the ground. It's just in a different form, okay? Now, why do I say all that? Well, because 
Jesus, we are going to be resurrected like him. So whenever we see Jesus in his resurrected body, that's the form we're going to be taking. 1 John chapter 2, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that are of the world. Evidently, that's not going to affect us in our resurrected body. So, for instance, the sexual drive. You know, the, the biological sexual drive that God put into every creature on earth in order for uh, propagation, in order for procreation, that's not going to be one of the drivers in the resurrection. That's not going to be one of the drivers of our resurrected body. Hunger is not going to be a driver of our resurrected body. Now, will our resurrected body be able to participate in that? I have no reason to believe that it won't. Now, as far as sex goes, I don't know if we'll be even resurrected with the, with the right organs, okay, with the right apparatus. I do know that we will be like angels and we will be neither married nor given in marriage. So I don't know what that means. So there's a lot of stuff I don't know, but I think what we do know, it can be really known, if that makes sense. Meaning, whenever we're resurrected, we're not going to be motivated by the same things on the other side of eternity that we are motivated on this side of the veil. All right? So all that means is we've got to be careful what we serve. Idolatry is serving the things that originate on this side of the veil. I'm serving my belly. I'm serving my emotions. I'm serving my physical desires. Folks, all of that is idolatry. Service to what I can see. Some think that we'll all become angels, John says. Not the case. Absolutely. And, oh, uh, Brian Allen and Terry Crooks, good morning to you. Folks, if, uh, if you come in and, and, I, and you make a comment and I don't acknowledge it, it, please understand that that's nothing personal. Sometimes I, get, sometimes I get caught up in the podcast and I forget to look over at the comment section. And sometimes Facebook just doesn't play nicely and I'll, I'll overlook your comments. So anyway, we are very happy that everybody's here this morning. All right. Historical examples of idolatry within our sacred text. There's going to be three of them. I think we can get the, use these three examples to show how even things that are given to us by God, we as individuals, as humans, and I say individuals, collectively or individually, we can turn them into idols, okay? So the Ark of the Covenant was not merely a beautifully crafted box overlaid with gold. It was the designated dwelling place of God. It was literally the representation of the, of the, of the dwelling place of God on earth. Um, situated within the Ark of the Covenant, uh, it was the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and a jar of manna. Its cover, known as the mercy seat, was where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of atonement for of the atonement sacrifice. It symbolized the covenantal relationship between God and his people. However, during the time of the judges, and this is still the time of the judges, a shift occurred in how the Israelites perceived the ark. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Let's read this. And the word of Samuel came, and all Israel, excuse me, and all Israel. Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched, against, pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined the battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army of the, in the field about 4,000 men. So 4,000 Israelites have died, all right? And that's because the Philistines defeated the army of the Israelites. Well, and when the people were come to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today? 
before the Philistines. In other words, why is the Lord smitten us? In fact, in the King James, the word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the Tetragrammaton. That's, that's Jehovah. So they understood, they, they conceptualized their loss by the Philistines as Jehovah smiting them. So then what do they do? Do they go to the temple or do they, excuse me, do they go to the tabernacle? Do they consult the high priest? Maybe they consult the high priest who wears the mitre with the Urim and the Thummim and see what they could do so this wouldn't happen? No, that's not what they do. They say, let us go get the magic box. And I'm saying that tongue in cheek because that's, that's really kind of how they put it. Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the land, or out of the hand, rather, of our enemies. So we see right there, they pit something that was supposed to represent God, that was given by God, against God himself. Idolatry is present. When the thing itself is prioritized and focused on more than that which the thing represents. The thing was the Ark of the Covenant. That which the thing represented was the presence and power and authority of Jehovah God. Yet, whenever they were pressed and they were defeated by the Philistines, they perceived that Jehovah God did it, so they focused on the thing, and they said, let's let the thing save us, because we're a little bit miffed at what the thing represents. Folks, this is idolatry. Now, you know what happens. The Philistines win. Now, the, let me, i tell you what, let's just keep reading, because this is very interesting. Because the Philistines understand about the ark. They understand it's not so much the thing, but what the thing represents. I believe they, I believe the Philistines at this point think more of the ark of the covenant than the children of Israel. Let's keep reading. Verse four. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons, Eli. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas, excuse me, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. In other words, they're shouting and stomping and hooping and hollering, hollering. The ground resonated with that. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, well, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? Well, then they sussed it out. They understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp and the Philistines were afraid. Well, why, they, why were they afraid? They weren't afraid of the ark of the covenant, folks. The Philistines were afraid of God because even the Philistines understood that the reason the Israelites were defeated is because they did something that God allowed it to be so. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong. And quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And fight they did. The Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell in Israel 30,000 footmen, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons, Eli, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were slain. Folks, the Philistines had more faith in their God than the Israelites had in theirs. That's, that's, I, I can't, 
I don't even have words. But we do have comments. Makes you wonder why the Philistines didn't follow God since they knew what he could do. That's a really good question, and I think it's easily answered in a term that's been coined in modernity called henotheism. Let me explain. Actually, no, it is too long. Let me sum up. If anybody listening knows what reference that's to, well, I was going to say I'd send you an icy cold Coca-Cola, but I don't know that I can. I would just be really proud of you. All right. Uh, Let me get Terry Crook's um, comment. Our obsession with material possessions has led us to prioritize physical comfort and the accumulation of more quote-unquote stuff over spiritual values, which in turn fuels our ego and self-worth. Terry Crooks, I'm going to develop that comment into a, I'm going to develop that comment into an article. Yeah, that's right. We, we just keep, we're just so obsessed. We, we have turned existence into an existence of idolatry. Yeah. All right. Um, now, hey, hey, Alabama, it makes you wonder why the Philistines didn't follow God. Why didn't they follow God if they, if they acknowledged what God did? It's because they're, the way they conceptualized it, hey, hey, is, and this, this is what the term henotheism, so when you, when you go to the books of First and Second Corinthians, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you know what? We're not going to go to 1 Samuel 4, so I'm just going to leave it there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. Let me show you something here. This is interesting. Now, as touching the things offered to idols, we know that we all have the knowledge, but knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth nothing or anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Now, as concerning therefore, the eating of those things which are offered to idols, we know that the idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. All right. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. It's like, look, we know that there is nothing to the idol. And there is no other God but one God. But not everybody knows that. Now, this is, this is hard for some of my brethren to swallow. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many or lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So he just juxtaposed in two verses the the conceptualization of a pantheon of gods versus the conceptualization of the true one God. And he's saying some people understand this. We understand the one God, but some people conceptualize the pantheon. How be it? There is not in every man that knowledge. Well, what knowledge? The knowledge of one God. The knowledge of monotheism. So, howbeit there is not in every man the knowledge of monotheism. For some, with a conscience to the idol, with the conscience of the idol, unto this hour, Eat as if the thing offered to an idol, but their conscience being weak is defiled. But but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Folks, there were Christians in Corinth that believed in the pantheon of God's but yet they acknowledge the superiority of the one true God and followed him. Now, what's that got to do with Hey Hey Alabama's question? I think it has everything to do with it because I think it's how the, um, 
Well, I don't think. I know it's how the Philistines conceptualized Jehovah God, that he was but one of many. And Jehovah God was stronger than the God of Egypt, but they were still betting, they had faith that Jehovah God was not as strong as Dagon, their God, which actually would have been kind of proven to them because if you'll you know finish or, or look at the reading there, First Samuel four, uh, whenever they fought the Israelites with the representation of their God in the midst of them, Dagon won over Jehovah God. Now we know what happened whenever that the Ark of the Covenant was put into the temple, that Dagon didn't fare too well, and they had and and the the Philistines had to get. Uh, two uh, milk kine who had just born heifers and sent them with a cart and sent it back to Israel. But the the thing about it is that that's, I think that would answer your question is because they acknowledged the power of Jehovah God, but they just thought that Dagon was more powerful. Either that or they had a loyalty to Dagon, even if they didn't think Dagon was as powerful. So that's, that that's that's kind of that's kind of the way that's that's kind of the way the world worked, and whenever you bring that forward into the first century, even the twenty first century, you're going to find people maybe maybe not so much in the Bible Belt, maybe not so much in Western culture, but if you go and and let's say you go to Asia, to uh, India, uh, places where paganism is is very strong. You're going to have people that convert to Christianity who believe in a pantheon of gods, yet serve, devotedly serve, loyally serve the God of heaven and earth, Jehovah God. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Petra Simonis, hello, good to see you. And Sheila Cole says, I see technology and people's inability to put down the device, an addiction. And, I, and idolatry. Their device rules every second of their day. Oh, man, you ain't lying there. It's really sad that it's sad. Okay, so up here, it's very, very expensive to do things, and we don't often get to go out to eat. We got to go out to eat this weekend, um, and we went to this place called East Side Mario's, little Italian joint, kind of like Olive Garden. I think it's a little step above Olive Garden, but it's kind of like Olive Garden. And yeah, we just, it was really great, you know, sitting there in the moment, being with my wife. But then I was looking around and we could, and, and just people on their phones. It's like, you can't, you can't just be with each other. You just can't just be with each other. And uh, I don't know. It's just, get off that phone for a minute. Nothing you can do on that phone is more important than the person sitting across the table from you. You've got to learn to to develop a relationship in the here and now. Um, yep, it used to be, and, and that's a go. Oh, that's a good point, and I wish it were not true. <laughs> I wish Sheila, Sheila and Hey Hey Alabama. I wish both of you were just wrong, but you're not. Uh, it used to be the TV, the television. Now it's other devices as well. That's it. That's it. And uh, John Exum says, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I do not have that committed to memory, but I suggest you go read that excerpt from the, um, well, maybe I do have that committed to memory. Is that, uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves do break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt where thieves do not break in and steal for where a man's treasure is there his heart will be also let me see Matthew 6 19 that's it hot dog yeah yeah where your treasure is there your heart will be also when I'm out to eat with my wife I try my best to stay off my phone now here's the thing there's a difference between going out to eat with my wife and then having to get something while we're out and about. 
we got to get something while we're out and about. Sometimes we just want to get in. We'll scroll through our phone while we're waiting. We're kind of focused on things at hand. We're both doing things. But if we want to go and spend time with one another, which that's what we did this weekend. That's what the East Side Mario's, it was kind of like a date. Well, I don't guess it was kind of like. Anyway, yeah, we didn't get on our phones. Neither one of us touched our phones the whole meal. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, let's go back to, let's let's look at two more uh, from the Bible. Let's go to uh, Jeremiah. And this is one where, um, oh, hold on. I forgot forgot where the book of Jeremiah was. All right. Now, the temple in Jerusalem, initially constructed under King Solomon, was an architectural marvel meant to be the early dwelling place of God, constructed with intricate detail according to divine specifications. You know, it wasn't. Yeah, it was initially constructed under King Solomon. Sorry, I'm losing my ever-loving mind. It served as the epicenter of Jewish religious life. Its courts were to be a place of prayer, sacrifice, and worship, directing people's attention to the covenant relationship with God. But by the time of Jeremiah, the temple had lost its original meaning for many of the inhabitants of Judah. They began to see the temple as kind of a divine insurance policy. They used phrases as incantations like, well, the temple, like they would see like, it was superstition. You ever known somebody to knock over a salt shaker so they had to take some of the salt and throw it over their left shoulder? Or you got Catholics that see an ill omen and they do the sign of the omnum floxum, saxum, cracksum kind of deal they they do the symbol you know they do the cross stuff like that that's superstition that's a cult we got to get out of that christianity has got to get out of the occult well under the jewish system towards the end during jeremiah's age let's read here what 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 had they started to do that was like this they say if a Jeremiah 3, they say if a man put away his wife and she go from him and he become another, hold on, I've I've lost my place here. I thought it was at the beginning of the chapter. I didn't put my, I didn't do my notes well. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Let me let me get her done. Trust not in lying words. I'll get it here in a minute. It is. It's thrown it's at the beginning of the chapter. I just didn't read far enough. Oh, it is Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 7. No wonder, y'all. Look, when you're, it's. It is not Jeremiah 3. It's Jeremiah 7, verse 3. When you don't start at the right point, you won't be able to make the correct journey. You won't be able to end up in the right spot. That's a, that's a good illustration. All right. Jeremiah 7, verse 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and Shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt. Then will I cause you to dwell in this place. So, again, this, these folks had turned something that originated in the mind of God that had a physical manifestation in this realm of existence, 
the dwelling place of God, the temple of the Lord, and they turned it into a lucky charm, an insurance policy, as you will. If they, well, well Tony, you're not living the way you should be. You know, you, you need to change your ways. Look, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Oh, well, look, there's a dark cloud in the sky at 6 a.m. That means it's going to be a, somebody die by noon. Well, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah says, don't you trust in those lying words? Just because you have the temple of the Lord, it's worthless unless you do the things. You're focused on the thing, not what the thing represents. If you're just focused on the thing, the thing becomes worthless. The things become an idol. You are serving that which you can see and experience. You're not serving the metaphysical. You're not serving God. Catholicism encourages the use of statues, relics, and other articles and symbols of faith, devotion, and devotion, which some people may find helpful in their worship practices. Yes, and that is such a good comment because of an article that I wrote about three ways. There are three ways, three paths. There's a way that is absolutely wrong and it cannot be right. That's easy to find. There is a way that is, seems right, but it leads to death. And then there is a way that is right and cannot be wrong. I believe that Catholicism, in their encouragement of the use of statues, relics, and other uh, symbols of faith and devotion, I believe that's a way that seems right. But it, is a, but, but it is a way that the end thereof leads to death. The whole Catholic teaching seems to be from paganism. They learn, sorry, the comments jump. The whole Catholic teaching seemed to be from paganism. They seem to throw in a few words to make some people think that they are Christian religion. Most of what they do is contrary to God's word. I, I can't agree more. I cannot agree more. And Terry, follow, and Terry Crooks follows up with her comment says, many don't realize it's idolatry. And, and, and listen, and, and it's very difficult to get them to admit it as well. Uh, now, I do want to mitigate this a little bit because um, I have no issue whatsoever with someone wearing a symbol of Christendom on their body. Like, for instance, I have no problem with somebody wearing a cross. Uh, I, have no, some, I have no problem with somebody wearing a hat. And there's a brand on Facebook where you can get this clothing that has godly messages. I have no problem with that. You do have to be careful. Like they, they, they don't, don't just run blindly into that without thinking. Be careful that we don't take these things that are from God, these good things, and turn them into idols. And uh, yeah, that's, well, that's about all I can say about that. So the temple of the Lord. It was just an idol to them. It was a magic. It was like the Ark of the Covenant. It was a magic box, a lucky charm, a talisman. Uh, uh, they, they boiled it down to an incantation. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And God through Jeremiah said, don't you trust in those lying words. You've got to do the things associated with the temple of the Lord, which brings me to the third thing. All right, which brings me to the third thing. The scrolls. All right, when you would go to a Jewish synagogue, all right, um, let, me, let me do something real quick. All right. When you would go into the Jewish synagogue, there would be a cabinet. And the rabbi would go into the cabinet. Hello, Missy Malone. Good to see you. Um, so we're going to go into the cabinet. The, the rabbi is. He's going to pull out these scrolls. And, and I, think, I think it was five scrolls. The Torah, the, the Navim, and the Keduvim. That, that's... That's the Hebrew Bible. And then you would have the Mishnah and the Gemara. 
which make up the Talmud, all right? So you have the Torah, the Pentateuch, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, the books of law. Uh, Torah means instruction, by the way. Um, you have the Torah, the Naviv, the bubbled up ones, the prophets, then the Ketuvim, you have the writings. All right, those three scrolls would have made up what we call the Old Testament. But then you would have the Mishnah and the Gemara, which the Mishnah is a codified, the codified um, version of the laws that were given from mouth to ear, passed down from Mount Sinai. And around 30 AD, they would have been, they would have been codified. And then you would have had the Gemara, which is the rabbi's commentary on the Mishnah. Which, so that would be the rabbi's commentary on what the rabbi said. But they considered these things sacred. And in the book of John, chapter 5, let's run over there. John, chapter 5, verse 39 Search the scriptures, Jesus says, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, on a surface reading, it might sound as if Jesus is telling the Pharisees to search the scriptures, for in them ye think you have eternal life. In other words, you can find the means to attain eternal life by searching the scriptures and that that's what they that's what they perceived i don't believe that's what jesus was saying i believe jesus was saying you need to search the scriptures because in the scriptures in the in the very possession of them you think you have eternal life ironically enough they are they which testify of me in other words that which testifies of me is the scriptures that is in your possession that you don't read and obey like you should, but they're the ones that testify of me. So I put forth to you that you can take this book right here and you can turn it into an idol. You can turn it into an idol. And I think some people do that. I think some people, just in the very possession of the Bible, they think they're safe. Well, I'm a Christian. I own a Bible. I go to church three times a week. I give of my means. I partake of the Lord's Supper. I sing. I pray. I listen to the preaching. All that stuff. Folks. The oracles of God have been given unto us. We have that which is perfect. Just like the Jews in the first century had the scriptures that testified of Jesus, they conceptualized that just possessing those scriptures, they had eternal life. But eternal life was not to be attained sans Jesus. And in order to take advantage of the eternal life Jesus brought, you had to believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent by God the Father to be a propitiation for the sin of mankind, and you had to obey in the way that God wanted you to obey. So again, they had the scrolls, but they focused more on the scrolls themselves than what the scrolls represented. Well, what did the scrolls represent? The scrolls represented that the Jews were God's chosen people. And that as long as you're faithful, God will bless you. But whenever you're not faithful, God will pluck you from off the land where you went to possess it, and he will bring you to nothing. And just as, the God, just as God was satisfied to do one, he'll be happy and satisfied to do another. That's Deuteronomy 28, verse 63. Go read that. So we see then that there are three times in Scripture, and you might be able to find more. But the Ark of the Covenant was turned into an idol to the detriment of the children of God. The Temple of the Lord was turned into an idol at the detriment of the children of God. And the very scriptures themselves were turned into an idol 
to the detriment of the children of God. Today, my brethren, I think Big Ten Christianity, we have turned, and I say we, again, the editorial we, I'm not saying that anybody on the live stream has done this. I'm not saying I've done this, although I believe I have in the past. I hope I've gotten out of it, and I think I've gotten out of it. We have turned Christianity into an idol if we boil it down to checklist. In other words, here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, I'm saved. Preach, pray, hold on a second. Preach, pray, give, Lord's Supper, and sing. I've got it. We focus on the thing more than what the thing represents. If we conceptualize our Christianity, our faith in that way, then we have, well, we've turned it into an idol. Folks, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. You might say that you have faith, but you don't have any works. Well, I'll show you my faith by my works. I do not believe John, James, rather, in chapter 2 is talking about hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, and preach, pray, and all those I believe he's talking about the difference between sheep and goats. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me water. I was sick, you ministered to me. I was in prison, you visited me. I was naked, you clothed me. We cannot, if we're blessed in this world's good and we see our brother in need, if we open up not our bowels of compassion to him, the love of God doesn't dwell with us. That's 1 John chapter 3. We have to practice Christianity and serve God. Focus on that which the thing represents and not the thing itself. You have two men. One man, obeyed, both men rather, obeyed the gospel at 20 years old. Both men for 60 years quote-unquote, did the same thing. Both men die on the same day. One man is carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The other goes to torment. What is the difference? How the one man reckons his relationship with God. One man felt like his salvation and relationship with God was earned because of what he did. That man was an idol worshiper. The other man, because of his love and devotion to a beneficent almighty father, wanted to do his best to just live in, commensurate, in ways commensurate with the will of that beneficent almighty father. On the surface, both of those lives look identical. But one man did what he did in order to be saved, to earn his salvation. And one man did what he did because of, because of his extreme love for God, because God, while he was a yet a sinner, commended his love towards him and sent his son. And he understood that salvation is a gift that is freely given. It cannot be earned. And so this man sacrificed his life that he was given and gave it back to God. This man took the life that he was given and said, I'm now going to earn my salvation through my works. Folks, let's not turn Christianity into an idol. And I think that's all I've got. So remember, it's not a magic box. It's not, it's not just a, 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 an incantation. The temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, and just in the very in the very possession of the scriptures, they don't do us any good. We have to apply them and live. Sheila says it's the difference between loving God and obedience, and doing what God commands as a mere checklist because they think they have to do it. 
you have touched on the idea of checklist Christianity. And that's the, that was the main theme of the sermon from Ayo Kun Lee. He said, checklist Christianity is absolutely true, but it's got to be God's checklist. Do the things that God wants you to do. We cannot come up with a system to save ourselves. So you can't read the Bible and think, well, I'm going to do all these and I'll be saved. No, you have to, you have to take the over, an overarching holistic view of God's will and word and apply it to your everyday walks of life and try to live according to that standard. Yeah. Uh, if I don't watch it, there'll be another 30 minutes of podcast about that. I didn't want to just regurgitate Kun Lee's sermon. I wanted to offer something a little different. Well, it wasn't different. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I, I just, I wanted to, this is me processing through the sermon. So it was a good sermon. Anyway, uh, that's all I've got, folks. Uh, Diana Merritt Harden, thank you so much. Listen, um, consider supporting Christianity now. There is a way that you can do that without having to do anything monthly or having to do, having to give your credit card like to uh, buy me a coffee. Um, hey, hey, Alabama, are the sermons at Riverview online? They are not. And let me tell you why. Um, we, we may eventually start putting them online. I have, I have weird mixed feelings about doing too much in the name of the church on Facebook. Now, why is that? Well, it's because of some things in the past from Riverview. But um, I think for the little congregation we have up here, you know, it's around 30 members strong. Um, I like the idea of doing things just for us. In other words, the sermons, the Bible classes and stuff like that. It's very important during this stage of growth of the Riverview Church of Christ that the congregation knows that the most important thing to me, the most important thing to the congregation is the congregation locally. And I'm afraid that if we dive off full bore into creating an online presence, that it might come across as in, well, we want to be popular on Facebook, not necessarily grow in the community. And right now we're growing in the community. Uh, three weeks ago, God dumped five people in our lap, uh, three adults and two children, uh, two sisters and a young man who is, he's trying to court one of the sisters. Anyway, um, very interesting, very good people. They are inquisitive, uh, asking questions. They, they love the atmosphere. And yeah, so again, that's, I've rambled, but, 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 the, but, but, but I think you get the idea. We, we probably will someday put the sermons on Facebook, but I don't think we'll ever put the, put the, um, put the Bible classes and stuff. Anyway, yeah, Riverview Church of Christ, I believe we have five Bible classes going now. We have four different children's classes and uh, the adult class. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Keep that work in your prayers. I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want to have folks confused. Christianity now is not the work of any congregation. It's not the work of any church. Christianity now and cogitations is something that me and Aaron Dotson are doing. But I mean, you know, I'm a gospel preacher, right? And, and so, yeah, I'm just letting you know that the work is going good up here and pray for the work. That's all I've got. Uh, how it goes. She says, Hey, Hey, Alabama says, gotcha. Awesome. Well, listen, folks, I'm going to shut her down. Um, be sure and follow some Substack. A lot of good articles coming out there. If I do say so myself. There is, um, I can't remember who, I think it was Terry Crook. There is an, uh, one of her, one of her, 
Yeah. No, I, I'm with you, Chris. Uh, I had four people I baptized Saturday who came my way through the Facebook live from the Coxie page. And, and I, I'm not denigrate. Look, if, if, if you're with a congregation that uses Facebook, by all means do it. If it's working for you, that means you're in a stage of development where it, where it, where it's good and it makes sense. I don't believe we are. I believe we're six months to a year away from that. Um, I, I do, I think I am going to come up, I think with a sub stack for the church. Uh, we've talked about that and, uh, where I do a, once a week, I do an article, uh, but it, it's for the Riverview church of Christ. It's going to be the Riverview church of Christ sub stack. And there will never, ever be uh, a paid. There will never be a pay. I on Christianity. Now me and Aaron, we've got a paywall and some of our stuff goes behind a paywall. But with the Riverview Church of Christ, nothing will be behind a paywall. So I, I'm, I'll probably use that to do some very hyper-focused doctrinal articles. Um, but anyway, I, I commend you. I, I, congratulations on that, Chris. And we will eventually have a presence on Facebook. But I just want to make sure that we're going to do it at the right time. And, it, and it's getting there. Um, I was trying to find this comment I wanted to turn into an article. Yeah, right there. This one. This one. Our obsession with material possessions has led us to prioritize physical comfort and the accumulation of more stuff over spiritual values, which in turn fuels our ego and self-worth. So, yep, 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 yep. I wonder if I can... Nope, I can reply. I can block. I can put you, well, Terry, it looks like I can put you in timeout or I can add to a, I don't want to do any of that. I want to copy the article. Let me see. Let me see if I can reply to it. Hold on. Good comment. Let me see if I get that now. All right. Oh, G O I O D. That's terrible. I'm going to be done. God bless every one of y'all. Uh, Chris says, I would love to hear your sermons when the time is right with your congregation. Well, thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. Greg James. No, I cannot. For some reason, uh, Greg says, can you not copy and, and paste? Uh, no, it's not letting me. It's, I wish I could, sh I, I wish I could show you what it's doing. Oh, I, can I do it here? Nope. I can't do it here. Anyway, I'll, I'll just leave this up after the fact and I'll just write, I'll just type the comment. But anyway, guys, thanks everybody. This has been Tony Brew with Cogitations. You know the stick. Consider supporting us monetarily. There's ways to do that in the show notes. Or, I never did do this, there's a quote-unquote tip jar. And the only reason I'm showing this is because somebody asked me to. Um, this is our PayPal, nearchurches at gmail.com. If you send money to PayPal, um, it, it will be for me and Aaron. And incidentally, um, with, with some of the support that we've got from Substack, with uh, some of the support from Patreon and other places, and some people have sent some money in through uh, PayPal, I'm looking at getting Aaron a uh, microphone preamp where he can have four mics, and I'm looking at getting him a better microphone and maybe some sound treatment um, from that money. And so you'll see... You'll see the rewards. You'll, you'll see the fruit of your investment um, as time goes on. So, yeah, thank you so much. All right. God bless every one of you. This has been Tony Burr with Cogitations. Remember, this is a podcast. Co uh, Cogitations can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio, and Podbean. Uh, also, if you go to Rumble, these will be archived, and Rumble for free allows you to play. Uh, videos in the background while your phone is performing other tasks so you can have your phone in your back pocket and you can listen through your earbuds while you're running on a treadmill or cleaning a house or fighting a bear anything anything you can think of and so subscribe to us on rumble and uh, that's all i've got god bless you this has been tony birth cogitations and we will catch you on the flip side